I really wasn't sure how to do it. Like, how do you actually leave this culture that's been a part of your life your whole life? I just couldn't envision the practicalities of that. For me, it was a real grieving process. I almost view this like an act of a good Samaritan, helping people down a path that can be really painful and helping them figure out how to make it through. I found this this community and I found a space that's normalized my experience. There are a lot of people who have been down this path before you. There will be a lot of people coming after you and it's okay. There is a light at the other end. We are not intending to talk anyone out of the church. This is for people who've already decided they've left. This is for the wardless. You're listening to Wardless, a post-Mormon field guide, a podcast addressing the challenges and practicalities of navigating life after Mormonism, because leaving the church can be a little bit peculiar. Join us as we explore the path away from Mormonism and examine what it means to be Wardless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wordless Podcast. My name is Oliver, and I will be moderating today's discussion. And before we get started, we wanted to share some exciting news with you, our listeners. We have been nominated for a Brody Award. The Brody Awards are a yearly activity that is intended to give some extra recognition to the best post-Mormon content published during the last year. We have been nominated for Best New Blog, Channel, or Podcast. We're super excited. We need your votes. Voting ends February 17th, 2019. So please go to wordlesspodcast.com and click the link that we've put at the top of the page to go and vote for us for best new blog channel or podcast. So thank you. Let's jump into the episode. It's my first time moderating a one-on-one discussion with someone. So I'm excited to have here with me today, our resident sexpert, Amy. Hello. Amy, it is so fun to be here today to talk a little bit more about how to tell your spouse about a change in belief. Now, we didn't have you on the last episode. No. Uh, we, we planned it to have the panel stories and then bring in the expert today to talk a little bit more about it. Um, I would love to start off. Did you Have you had a chance to I, listen to I did listen 12? last night. I want to say I'm a little sick, so I'm sorry for my raspiness. But... <laughs> it gives you flavor. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so I am super excited to talk about this. Yeah. Also, I listened last night, and I want to just like maybe process a little bit of the feelings. Let's about kick that. off with that. Let's go. Okay, so so tender. All of those conversations and stories. There were so many good themes that came out. I just I felt so much love for that episode. One of the themes, obviously, shook out was just how hard this is, yeah, and how complicated it is. And so those stories from Whitney and Clark and Michaela and Donna. I just think that everybody just did such a tender job in sharing. So I hope the listeners enjoyed that. And it made me really thankful for this podcast, actually, because I I care about our tribe on such a deep level, and we want people to be healthy, and we're doing this with our whole hearts, and we do a lot of time and spend a lot of time, and it just made me really, I felt really happy for this resource of the podcast. I think it's a really good thing. So thank you for listening, and thank you for all the hard work of our team. Absolutely. Now go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you said that there were, that this is a hard and a complicated thing to do. What other things jumped out at you just from listening to episode 12, specifically about episode 12? Um, Specifically, the internalized shame that got brought up about how being the person that's leaving, there is so much shame that's attached with it. 
we maybe need to make a whole episode on the internalized shame of what that means for the marriage. Yeah. Um, the other things that were really important, I thought, was separating belief from marriage, which we're going to be talking about today in more detail. Yeah. And I think Whitney and Clark both shared that feeling the loss of faith equaled the loss of spouse. And I want to kind of unpack that a bit okay. in, in today's episode. I can't okay. wait to hear your thoughts okay. on that. Hopefully today we can kind of give some good tips and, mm-hmm. you know, really good concrete direction. So I think the first episode was a lot about the processing, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners could relate to in their own stories. And I want to be really specific that today we're going to be talking about not what the aftermath is, because that feels like a whole other thing. Got so I it. want to make a distinction, but I really want to talk about, you know, how to approach the conversation. Yeah. So, Amy, let's let's start jumping into the conversation, and I would love to get a little bit of context on your experience with people who have had the conversation of telling a spouse about a change in belief. Okay. So, I have had a private practice for almost 10 years, and over the years, I've seen tons of people going through faith transitions, just getting referrals. It just has... Are you, are you like over 100 couples or people going Oh, through? for sure. Oh, wow. No question about okay. it. Okay. Oh, yeah. And even in my own life, because I feel like I've always kind of been an unorthodox Mormon, I've had yeah. cousins leave, I've had friends leave. And as Donna shared <laughs> in the You've last episode, <laughs> people talk about things with me and I love it. It's like, it, I love conversations like that. Yeah. But I've just, I've had, I've seen a lot of people through the transitions and I've seen masters and I've seen disasters. And so I just want to talk about what are the masters doing that can make a really helpful conversation about hard topics, specifically this hard topic. So I love it. I care that people do this well. I really genuinely do. So I love the term masters and disasters for the disasters. Is there hope? There is tons of hope. I have lots of hope for people that struggled with trying to navigate this. Yeah. I have to say a lot of times people that come in around these issues, sometimes what we figure out is it's not really about the faith stuff. There's just other issues in their marriage. Huh. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to be differentiated, which we'll talk about. They don't know how to be okay with where another person lands. Yeah. So that's not even about faith issues. That's about their relationship issues. So if you feel like a disaster, don't worry. I have tips for you on how to navigate this better. But also, you might need to look separately at other stuff around what's creating problems in your marriage. Oftentimes, faith issues become the scapegoat for bigger issues in a marriage. So there are skills that you can build to help you to deal with the the relationship issues that then also make it so that you can deal with the the faith issues. Absolutely. Okay. So and yeah, I'm excited. I have hope for people for sure. I feel very. And I, I love seeing these kinds of couples. Yeah. Sometimes they come in a few years too late, and I yeah. think, oh, I wish I would have got you right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm happy to do this podcast, because maybe we can catch people at the beginning of this yeah. so they don't have to blow up their marriage. So I think the first question that I have is, you've done one other episode for the podcast where you gave a therapist's take or an expert's take on telling family and friends. How is the conversation with a telling a spouse about a change in belief different from telling family and friends about a change in belief? Okay, I think it's very, very different because in that last podcast, I talked about how there's some things that you don't need to go into. I think I said, uh, tell your story, not your reasons, 
we talked a lot about that theme. And I think what's difficult in marriage is that there you do often have to get into reasons. Oh, you have to tell a bit of the why. Yes, you do a little mm. bit more than... So say if I have a maybe brother-in-law that I know would not want to engage with me in a conversation about faith and change of faith, I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go home with him. I don't have to sleep in bed with him. Mm-hmm. I don't have to raise children with him. Mm-hmm. So I don't actually have to have a deeper conversation about where my beliefs are at necessarily, unless I want to, unless he wants to. But with marriage, it's a really different dynamic because oftentimes in Mormon marriages, it's so foundational on why people got married. And there's a lot of fear that comes up, like was processed down in the last episode of, if I don't believe, will I still have a marriage? Whereas if I don't believe, I don't have to worry about my brother-in-law being married to me or not. But with my marriage, it is, it's a closer relationship. You're going to have a lot more overlap in how your daily experience is. So there's a lot more negotiations. I say often marriage is just a series of negotiations. So we have to negotiate how many children are we going to have? Uh How often are we going to have sex? Uh What are we going to spend our money on? And we have to negotiate all those things. And when someone has a change in belief, there is so many more negotiations that get put on the table that were just decided before it happened. Are we going to baptize our children? Are you going to go to church? Are you going to take your garments off? What does that mean if you do? You know, there's all of these new negotiations that come in marriage, and that's why this conversation is so different than talking to your friends and family about a change in belief. Because we don't negotiate as much with our friends and family or our brothers-in-law. We don't. So this is a more delicate, fragile relationship that we need to make sure that we do it in a good way. I loved Clark's reference to how he did the atom bomb. One of, you know, in the do not do list that Clark was talking about is he wouldn't have come in with so much anger. Uh, he wouldn't have come in with just this like, boom. Mm-hmm. And and I want to talk about that t- today too, of how you do that different so that you don't just blow up the relationship. Mm. Okay. So we want to make sure that we do it in a way that can preserve relationships. I'm really curious um, as you draw upon all that experience you've had and your professional training and what should people do? What what should happen before you have the conversation? How do you prepare for this? Okay. Thank you for asking. Because <laughs> I'm going to talk about differentiation again. Okay. And I know I've talked about it before. And if you haven't heard the word, I'm just going to quickly explain what differentiation is and why this is important before you talk to a, someone about your change of faith. So differentiation is knowing where you end and another person begins. Okay, I got to cut in because I'm still struggling a little with differentiation. Okay. So that phrase, where you end and another person begins, can you just say a little more about that? Yes. Okay, so Oliver, you have your feelings that you get to own. Mm -hmm. And I always say mad, glad, sad, scared. And most feelings can fit into one of those categories. And what is important is realizing I am only responsible for my mad, glad, sad, scared. I cannot own and I cannot be responsible for anyone else's. So when you are preparing to talk to your partner about your change in belief, I would suggest make it really clear about what you are mad about, what you are sad about, what you are glad about, what you are scared about. Get really clear Um, on that. I almost see like a little like take a piece of paper, four quadrants, mad, glad, sad, scared, and write down your feelings. Yes, this is very Oliver task oriented. I love it. Okay. So being able to really, really say, what am I mad about with the church? What makes me feel angry? 
Because what I think happens, and I see this with people that have maybe not done this the best, is they project all of their feelings onto their spouse. Because sometimes so foundationally, our marriages are built on the church that it just gets messy with what's our marriage and what's the church. And I want people to really differentiate the church from your relationship, separating it out, saying, what is good about my marriage? What do I love? What makes me happy? What makes me sad? Separating it from here is what I'm mad at the church or what I'm really sad about this transition. And what scares me, what scares me about my relationship with the church? So you're saying people should, like a good, a good thing to do before is almost, is actually to be specific on my relationship, mad, glad, sad, scared, and the church, mad, glad, sad, scared. Yes. To create almost these two different views so that you understand which emotions are related to the relationship. Maybe you're scared that there could be an impact to the relationship because of this change, but that you're mad isn't at the relationship. You're mad is at the church or mad at some other aspect of your experience with the church. Yes. Is it making more sense? It's to making you? a ton okay. of sense. So I always like to say, is this yours to own? Yeah. Okay. I do it with my kids. I do it with my clients. And that is one of the most essential things before you have a conversation like this to know what is yours. So the phrase yours to own. Okay. Can you explain that a little more? Okay, let me explain that a little bit more, because I think what happens is some personality types kind of absorb people's feelings. Mm -hmm. If someone's sad, they feel sad. If someone is mad, they feel like, I need to be mad too, right? And and in, in a partnership, it's easy to do that. And there's some things that you are going to share in feelings, mm-hmm. right? But it's important to say, do I feel sad about a particular thing or not? I want to be clear about that. And if I do, then I need to own that sad and be responsible for that feeling. But if it's someone else's, I need to make sure that I'm not putting it in my backpack and carrying it with me and thinking that it's mine. And if someone feels sad feelings about my change of belief, I have to work hard to say, I need to let them have their feelings. If they have grief about it, I need to let them have their grief because I have my own grief and it's different. So I can't own another person's feelings because it gets messy and it gets problematic when I'm trying to be in relationship with them if I'm also owning theirs. Because when you own it, then you feel like you need to fix it. Yeah. You know, I know it's a complicated, hard concept, but when people do this well, it helps their relationships be better. It, they're better boundaried. They're more loving because they know their space, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's such a big, deep concept yes. that I know it's going to, it's, it's taken me multiple exposures and I can imagine it will take yes. some listeners multiple exposures, pe- listeners who are right. new to it. And the listeners who are not are probably like, all right, let's move on folks. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that we're, we're okay. being sensitive to both those sides. Um, so Amy, one of the, maybe it's a nuance of differentiation that I'd love to explore a little more, get your take on is when someone leaves the church and their partner is sad about it, um, not owning that the, the partner's sadness is an important part of differentiation. How does that work with the person leaving feeling sad that their partner is sad? Right. And I think that there's an important distinction to make because it's not like I'm saying, oh, that person's sad and they're going to be sad and I don't need to worry about it because there is a partnership that you have with people, not just 
spouses, but also siblings and parents that care and and your actions have made them sad. Yeah. So how do you have still accountability to that, but also be differentiated and have good boundaries in regards to that approach with them, right? Mm-hmm. So I can see it's kind of like, so Amy, are you telling us just not to care how we affect people because we don't need to own it? And I'm not saying don't have compassion and empathy. I still think it's important. If my husband comes home and he feels sad about an action that I've taken, yeah. I got to stay in that with him. So let, let me give you an example. This is perfect because I was going to tell the story anyway. This might be a good example of how you do this well, okay? okay. So my husband, he let, I asked him, do you care if I share the story? And he said, no, you can share the story. So <laughs> my husband and I, we married each other knowing that we were both nuanced, unorthodox Mormons. Yeah. So we've also attracted a lot of those people in our lives and we've seen people transition out. We've seen some friends stay in and make it work. You know, we have just a lot of friends on the spectrum of Mormonism. And it was after the policy, which if you've listened to the podcast, you know that that was a big game changer for me, the November policy. And he and I were on a date night. And even though we were unorthodox Mormons, at this point, we were in different places. He still had a calling. He was still going to church and teaching primary. I was sporadically going sometimes. Okay. So we weren't totally in the same place. And we were chatting at dinner and he was like, Amy, I just got to be honest. I feel like you're in, you're in a different space than me now. You're kind of going in the same place with like those other friends that, you know, are separating from the church a little bit more. And I'm like, I got to be honest with you. I think I am. I don't feel like I can make this work in the same way that I did. I, I am evolving. And he took a deep breath and I'm like, how are you feeling about that? And he said, Amy, I just don't want you to think I'm stupid if I stay. Wow. And I said, I want you to know that I do not think you're stupid if you stay. And I hope that you don't feel that I'm stupid for leaving. And it was one of those things where even though we're nuanced, even though we're unorthodox, we still had to have those hard conversations. This isn't just conversations that you have with one person believing and one person not. These are on the whole journey of your marriage as things change. This isn't just one conversation. You're having multiple conversations. When when I told him, I think I want to get out of my garments and I want to talk to you about what that means for us because I know that we're a partnership, Yeah. right? And I and he's not going to own how I feel about the temple and I can't own his sadness about me potentially getting out of my garments. Yeah. But we have to have a compassion and talk about it with each other because we're a partnership, right? So when that happened, and I presented that like, hey, I'm struggling with wearing my garments still. I don't know if I believe the things that these underwear represent anymore. And I'm feeling some conflict in my integrity with that. He says, I don't know why, but it just makes me sad. And I don't know why, but I'm just needing to process that it kind of makes me sad that you might be getting out of your garments. I said, okay, let's talk about that. So I don't need to own his sadness, but that doesn't mean that I'm just going to say, it doesn't matter what I do. You better get comfortable with me not being in my garments, you know? Yeah. And that that's what I want to have be a distinction because <clears throat> when I say you don't need to own their feelings, I'm not saying don't be in emotion with them. Don't not care about how your actions impact your partner. Definitely care. But be careful about saying what is yours to own and what is mine to own. His sadness about me not being in my garments is his sadness. And I can say... You seem so sad. You can be loving and talk supportive to me about and it. sympathetic. Let's talk about yeah. it, right? And and I want to give him that space. And I also want him to know the process that's going on with me. So it's a partnership. And I think what happens is you have to move into a place 
where you do focus a little bit more on your partnership and, and negotiating, like I said earlier, you're having to negotiate things more specifically when you're not on the same page as much as you thought you might have been. So one thing I want to say is that this is such a tender issue with couples that yeah. because a lot of times I ask my clients, did you get married just because you were Mormon? You're both Mormon. And always I get a resounding, no, no, we liked each other. There's brother. other reasons. There's other yeah. reasons. And I was like, we got we to gotta focus on that, right? And so what happens uh, is, is like, even with me and my husband, him saying to me, I don't want you to think I'm stupid, right? One of the attachment things in, in, in marriage is that when you reach out, you want to feel like your partner's there for you. And when you have a change of faith like this, it brings up all of our insecurities, for both sides. Yeah. So in the last episode, we heard about all the insecurities about what it means to leave the church and what that means for your partnership, right? On the other side, they have their own set of insecurities that bubble up, right? And I think it's important to not think, I don't care about their feelings, that's theirs to own, so I get a piece out. Yes. What is brave and strong and important And part of being in a relationship is saying, I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to be there with you in this pain. And again, that phrase, in your feelings, from that, I hear I am being supportive and empathetic and trying to help you as you're processing through this without me taking it on myself, right? Yes. I want people to show up for each other in their partnership. I want them to say, I have empathy. This is hard for both of us. This is painful. This is a change. This is not what we expected. This feels like trauma to our marriage. I get all of that on both sides. And I want to be really clear. People can offend the marriage from both sides. From both sides. The believing people can say, you are not a good priesthood holder anymore. Do you even have the spirit with you? You know, you're going to just get slippery slope, blah, blah, you know, just all of these... Mm -hmm. All of these really difficult things. Yeah. And on the other side, you can be offensive of saying, you believe that stupid thing. Equally destructive. Equally destructive. Right? And I'm just saying, put your weapons down. Show up for each other. Wow. Have empathy. Right? Be really clear on your own sad, mad, glad, scared. It's... um. I, I love that you brought it back to that simple grid, right? Yes. Which... You know, we've talked about a lot in the how to prepare, and we've talked a lot about figuring out everyone's mad, glad, sad, scared. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that that you think is important for people to think about as they prepare for the conversation? Yes, I think making sure that you have low expectations. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Okay, I think you don't really totally know how your partner is going to respond. They might come at you really angry and have a big reaction. They may break down crying. They may be completely quiet and not say a word to whatever it is that you're trying to engage with them. So when you go in with an expectation of, oh, they're going to be really positive and they're going to be, I'm so glad you told me. And then you go in and it doesn't happen like that. All you can control is how you show up to this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I would say conversations. Okay. This Mm. isn't just one conversation. This is a lot of conversations. You can only control how you show up and how your behavior is. And I say, have good behavior. Your partner's bad behavior doesn't justify your bad behavior. So you've got to make sure you stay in that space. I almost want to say these ideas again because yeah. I think they're so good. You your know? partner might come at you with a really black and white response, which will be devastating for yeah. you. Because what you, what the person telling is wanting to say is, will you still love me? Yeah. And what the person that's hearing this wants to hear is, 
do you still love me? Yes. Wow. Try to okay, this say is... as your best self. Yeah. Which what happens is when we get triggered, our defenses go up. Yeah. We can overreact or underreact and stonewall. I mean, there's so many behaviors we all yeah. engage in, you know. All right. I think it's time to talk about having the conversation. Amy. Okay. Like, what are your tips when it comes to actually having okay. the conversation of telling your spouse you've had a change in belief? Okay. So I've talked to a lot of people that have heard the news and unanimously what people say is that they wish that it was a gradual conversation. That can't always be the case. Some people, you know, they say my, my partner had years and years of building up doubt and frustration at the church and it went from zero to 60. Mm-hmm. And so most people say what they appreciated was kind of a gradual build. Yeah. So I would say, if you can, slowly start sharing. Um, That might look like, wow, church really made me sad today. As simple as that kind of conversation. Oh, why did it make you sad today? If you're going to have a partner that shows up for you, they're going to ask you that question, you know? And then you say, I don't know. It just, I felt frustrated with, you know, not feeling like my voice is heard as a woman or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Or kind of creating more of these like small conversations that might indicate that you're thinking and that you're changing, you can kind of say, I don't know all the answers to this, but I just want to explore what it might mean to think about Joseph Smith and his polygamy. Or you you get what I'm saying? I'm just trying to throw out some ideas of like actual language that you would use in doing that, right? I always say secrets keep you sick. Uh So uh, I think what I've heard a lot of people express is that they felt betrayed that they didn't know the process that their partner had been going through. So the surprise is almost trauma. I'm going to use the word traumatizing. It is traumatizing for people to say, all of this has been going on. You've been listening to all these podcasts for all of these years. And not one time did you share with me what you were going through. It's hard for people. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect, when we talk about expectations, you can't expect your partner to ever want to research what you're into. Yeah. But if you don't let them know that that's going on for you, they're going to feel like, do I even know you? It's funny because on a less charged level, I know that I can't expect Kristen to be into K-pop, which is something that I really enjoy. Totally. But we all know, like, Kristen is not into K-pop. I know that. And yet you're sitting here saying, just because you're into researching all the stuff in the church history, you can't expect your spouse. To even be interested in it. Yeah. Right? So you trying to convert your spouse to your way. Yeah. Not good. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen for them necessarily. Yeah. And I get that when you're when when I've I've had people start digging in uh, specifically with church history. Yeah. It's just this avalanche of information, and then they're just like, oh my gosh, so overwhelmed with what they're hearing and reading and feeling, and they're thinking. Michaela referenced it in the last podcast of if you only knew. Yeah. Then we would be okay and we could, I think it was, walk into the sunset of apostasy, which was just made me <laughs> totally a great, laugh, right? A great line. Yeah. And so I think you want to vomit that all over your partner. And I'm like, don't. Take a deep breath. Slow it down a little bit for them. Yeah. They're not in the same place as you. They're just not. And so you need to approach the conversation, not with this like vomiting of, hey, I got to tell you all the things about yeah. all the things. Yeah, It needs to not be that. So I just say, just put it aside for that initial conversation. Yeah, Don't bring it. And even later, there's a chance that 
that you're going to have to negotiate how much your partner wants to know about that kind of stuff. So that's going to be another conversation later on in the process of saying, how do we negotiate if you, how much you want to know and how much you don't want to know? I've had some people say, I don't want to know anything. Yeah. So then that the conversation becomes more about feelings and decisions around church stuff versus, hey, I need to let you know about the book of Abraham. What happens when the spouses know the same information and want to choose different paths? Then I say, how do you be okay with where your partner lands? Mm. You're not going to land in the same spot. And I think that that's where probably previous to faith transitions, we all just assume we're all on the same page and yeah. there's some comfort in that, Yeah, but it's false. That's been one of the most telling things about moderating this podcast is realizing that everyone experiences Mormonism in a different way. Whereas for a big part of my life, I thought everyone experienced the Mormonism that I was raised in. Right. And people stay and leave for so many different reasons. Yeah. So you could be in a partnership and they can say, I know all the things and I'm still wanting to be engaged in this community. And I'm like, well, then that's great for them. Don't shame them for that. Yeah. Just how do you then negotiate how you work in your specific marriage around some of that stuff? Yeah. Right. So if you can, try to make it a slow build, introduce things slowly over time. If you can, yeah. do it over time. There's going to be some situations where a listener might be like, wow, I've been in this for years and I haven't said anything. So, What would you say to that person? I would just say maybe slowly start sharing and start opening up a little bit more. Start now. Yeah. Be gradual. Start now, be start gradual, now. share a little bit of things that you might think here and there. Yeah. Yeah. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. Yeah. Right? A great first piece of advice. Number two. Number two. When you approach the conversation, when you... Uh, There's an (laughs) S there, I think I just heard. Do you want to repeat that again to emphasize that S? When you approach the conversations about this topic, lead with expressions of love. So if you were to say, hey, Oliver, pretend that we're married, okay? I'd say, hey, Oliver... I have a kind of a harder thing I need to talk to you about later, maybe when the kids go to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Prep them so that they can say, I'm going to hear a hard thing. And and then you come and you can say, Oliver, I need you to know that I love you so much. I love our marriage. And I'm going to talk about some hard things that I've been thinking about, that I've been stewing in my mind. I don't know the final answers, but I just want to share this with you because I love you. And I want you to know how this is for me. I love that you're answering the question of... Remember how we said before, do you still love me? You're opening by answering that question. And there's a lot of reassurance that you're going to be doing through the process. Got it. If you can't say that you love your partner, then that's a whole other issue, (laughs) right? That's not a faith crisis issue. That is like a, why can't I tell my partner I love them, right? But if you do, then lead with it. Lead with it every single time you start these conversations. Because that is the underlining root of fear, the scared on each person's part that it comes into the conversations. One of my favorite stories, I might have told it, but when my brother-in-law left the church, my sister-in-law told my mother-in-law, he's leaving the church, he's not leaving you. And that, for whatever reason, totally changed in her mind about how she approached the relationship with her son. So insightful. Because it feels like, and oftentimes in marriage, it feels like, again, in the processing of episode 12, one of the biggest fears that everybody had that was expressed was, if I lose my faith, then I lose my spouse. But if you can reassure and express love that me losing faith doesn't mean that I don't love you anymore, 
that is a very important part to approach these conversations. And it's almost an act of differentiating the relationship from the religion. Which we talked about at the beginning. Right? How do you start separating that? How do you start doing a really good job of saying, our marriage is not the church? That is a really great practical tip Yes, for making that differentiation happen. So lead awesome. with love. Lead, lead with love. With love. Okay. All right. Number three. Number three is that language matters. All right. Using things like cults, liars, pedophiles are not going to be helpful. <laughs> you would think this goes without saying. Yeah, but sometimes people don't know. In the emotion of an maybe an uh, angry place, yeah. you're trying to like let them know all the things. You're Again, like I talked about the vomiting of information on your partner. Of your when, hurt. Of your hurt and sadness. And again, step back, slow down. Think about this before you approach your partner with this stuff is that Mm -hmm. that's going to be traumatic for them to hear you say, I think Joseph Smith is a liar. Yeah. This is all BS. Be careful about your language. Come to the I statements, right? The I feel, I feel so confused about what I believe anymore. And that makes me so insert mad, glad, sad, scared. Um, I'm going to make the first in my sessions with my therapist statement, um, <laughs> but my therapist talks a lot about I statements. Yes. Okay. Like the power of an I statement. And it's and in, in this hard conversation, yeah. instead of doing that blaming, which completely drives disconnection. So I would say maybe later you can really talk and unpack all the things that are making mm-hmm. you mad and sad and scared. When you guys are in a little bit more of a maybe stable place with each other, you can mm-hmm. engage in those conversations a little bit more. And that's why I say this is a difference between friends and families and partners, mm-hmm. because with partners, you might have to have a little bit more in-depth conversations about the things that are hard. And so making sure that you're choosing language that is just just to be careful about it. Yeah. Right? I, I've got this picture in my head of a pool, and the deep end is where all your reasons live. And yes, you want to bring your spouse into the deep end, but you're not going to shove them off the diving no, board. No. And you know. can still express your your pain and sadness and anger without creating a hostile language environment. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. 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 So that's that's probably something that I've seen from disasters. You know, if we're talking hostile masters, disasters, hostile pushes language, disasters. Just using language that feels so so strong and go easy. So, uh, Amy, what do you do if the 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 person you're telling, like your spouse, says to you, "Well, tell me your reasons," and they're asking questions that could make you use some of that that negative language? That's a really good question, Oliver, because I think it is important to remember that they're not as far down the path as you are. Yeah. And if you could, I'm not asking you to not share things, but I'm saying be intentional about how fiercely you share <laughs> You know, but you're going to be in a different space with them. And so there's lots of places online that you can you can use liars and stronger language. Yeah. But maybe don't bring that if your partner's still in a very believing place. Got it. It's just not respectful. Yeah. So then what's number four? So the fourth one falls under the differentiation umbrella in a practical way. Okay. Okay. So what I would want people to do is to not panic when they might be feeling rejected by their partner in this conversation. Okay. Their partner is going to have mad, glad, sad, scared feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's going to feel like possibly a personal rejection. And I would just say self-soothe. They need to grieve. They can be angry. Stay in in a relational maturity that allows them 
to express whatever it is that they're feeling. And let them feel that grief. Right. And don't, Without internalizing it. Yeah, don't necessarily interpret it immediately as, they're rejecting me. Yep. Is that something you've seen before? Yeah, and I see it deteriorate, right? Because what happens is, is I'm going to tell my person something, they're going to react, and then it triggers all of my insecurities too, and then it's just a big... And then they get in a big fight and you know what I mean? And you stop I'm just, having the conversation. And I'm just like, slow down, slow down. This You're going to have a lot of conversations. This is maybe the first or second or third time they might really hear this big news from you and they're going to have feelings. Mm-hmm. So put a little vortex around your insecure heart <laughs> and just let them express what it is that's going to be going on. I mean, this is also a great reminder that we all have insecure hearts. We do. Everybody. I don't care who you are. Everyone has an insecure heart. Yes. So just like settle down. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. So I want to reference back to the story that Whitney talked about in the last episode where Mm -hmm. she had expressed to her husband that she wanted to stop attending church. And he had said to her, I never thought divorce was an option. Of course, that feels like a gigantic rejection. You're like, what? Divorce? And so sometimes in those things, instead of, you know, having that initial reaction, I say, slow your roll, self-soothe a little bit and say, what do you mean by that? Tell me more about that. Are you are you wanting divorce? Let's talk about that, right? And it might be a week later or a day later or later where you kind of have to revisit some of the stuff that felt scary. And if I remember from the episode, that was Whitney's exact experience they came to a later conversation and realized that... Right, that there was a misunderstanding yeah. about how you interpret things that people say because you're just in the in the raw emotion of things. Yeah. And that people say things that they don't mean or they do mean, and you got to unpack it later, right? It but takes if, time to figure out how you it feel. It takes time to figure out how you feel. So that's why, again, I say, this isn't just one conversation. It's a lot of conversations. Yeah. So Don't immediately interpret it as rejection. Let the other person have whatever feeling, most likely grief, is tip number four. Exactly. Okay. Number five. Number five. I want people to remember that there is evolution in relationships. This is a long game. You're going to have many more negotiation conversations as you work together in a partnership about what this new normal means for you guys. And so being able to keep a big picture sense because sometimes it gets so you get so stuck in the are we going to do this thing that now feels hard and what are we going to do about this that it's hard to forget that oh there might be change that comes like yeah. Donna and her husband at the beginning Donna was very much in that orthodox space and mm-hmm. then there was a shift and Donna shifted and now their marriage looks really different right yeah. Donna's husband probably would have never expected that at the beginning Yeah. Right. So I'm not saying secretly hope your partner leaves the church. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that as you work together, your relationship will evolve through this. And you have to remember that. I I think there needs to be hope that that this is a long game. If you're in it forever, then of course, relationships are going to change and it's going to look different. And so when it feels, it feels anxious, these conversations are very anxiety producing. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, Dear listener, if you are going into this very scared, that's a normal feeling. But also remember that this isn't the end of the story. I I feel like there's this idea of when we have all these small evolutions in our life, you don't notice it as much. When you have big evolutions, yes, it's really jarring. It is jarring, right? And so it's it's like this the statement of evolution exists in relationships. 
it's not that this is the first time you've evolved. True. This yes. is a different type of evolution. Yes. And one that's off the script of what you had expected. Yeah. Right? Anybody that's thinking about marriage, I often, one of my advice is find someone that you feel like you can evolve with. Mm. Because when you think you're going to stay static, yeah, that's when problems come up in marriage. Because it's not static. Yeah. It's changing. You're going to have to be flexible. Life events happen that you need to have some flexibility. So sometimes the growth that I see that couples engage in mm-hmm. when they're struggling with this kind of stuff is their marriage becomes more flexible. Yeah. Right? It becomes more of a space where they have to learn how to respect each other in different spaces. And so it's not all bad. Yeah. There's a lot of good that can come from this change. Okay. Relationships evolve. It's a long game. So if it feels like your partner is in one space and you thinking that they're going to be in that space forever, I just want to say, you don't know. They might be. They might not be. But just keep an open heart. Number six. Number six is in this initial conversation, I would say don't make big promises because what happens is things change and evolve. And so when you make big promises and then things change, that person will say, well, when you first told me that you were leaving the church, you said that you would never take your garments off. Mm-hmm. Or I promise you that I will forever go to church with you uh-huh. all the time, but I just am not going to believe you never need to worry about me not going to church. But then what happens is, is church gets really hard and it gets really, mm-hmm. the cognitive dissonance gets bigger and bigger and harder and harder. Yeah. And so then a change has to be made. So what I would love in the conversation for you to approach is to say, I don't know what this is going to look like for us and for our marriage and for our family, but I know that I love you. And I know that I'm going to work with you to get through this together. I love how you brought it back to expressions of love. Yes. So I would just say, be careful because there's this knee jerk reaction to want to do a lot of promises because they'll say, do I even know you anymore? I don't know. It, it'll depend and on it the reaction. Like fixing too. Yes. Just saying, I know that you're feeling anxiety, so I need to like make that okay. And so yeah. I'm going to promise you that I'm never going to do things that are not in line in terms of behavior or attendance or whatever it might be. Yep. Or I, I promise you that I always will believe in God. Yep. There's another example that I've heard. And then it ends up that you go down the path and then you kind of lose belief in God. And so I would just say, try not to make any promises. Just say, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to look like. But I know that I love you. And I know that I want to be married to you. And I know that I want to stay close as a family. What a great, solid, practical piece of advice. I think it's helpful. Yeah, I love that. So let me recap the six. Number one, slow build. Make it a slow build. If you can. Number two, lead with expressions of love. Number three, Remember, language matters. Avoid the negative language. Four, don't immediately jump to rejection. Allow them to feel grief. Five, relationships evolve. And then number six, don't make any big promises. I feel like that's a really solid set of practical (laughs) advice. I love it. Okay, good. Obviously, case by case is different, but on a general level, I think that these things are very important. Absolutely. For relational maturity, for differentiation. I want the tribe to do well in these conversations. I do want to keep people in happy relationships. I want them, if they've loved each other well, I want them to continue to love each other well through this. If not, go get some therapy. Go in, get that third party. I love that in the last episode too, they referenced how important therapy was. Mm -hmm. To have a third person that's more neutral, that can help you in those really difficult negotiations that are surely going to come up if you were in different places. 
Do you have any recommendations on where people can go to find a therapist if they're looking for someone to help deal with issues around telling a spouse about a change in belief or potentially then working on their relationship after having shared about a change in belief? Yes. So the Mormon Mental Health Association is a website you can go to that has a list of therapists by state. So you can search by state for a therapist that is has a background in Mormonism or has worked with lots of people of the LDS faith. Wow. I think it's important to have someone that has a little bit of background with Mormonism mm-hmm. because there are certain words and dynamics specific to Mormonism that matter. Yeah. And I don't think that the person has to be Mormon, but I do think that having someone at least having experience with couples or individuals or they know someone that they're close to in their life so that there's a little bit of a bridge because I often have couples where they feel worried about picking the therapist because the believing spouse is worried that if they go to someone that might be anti-Mormon yeah. or against Mormonism, that's difficult. But then the person that might be having a shift in belief doesn't want to go to a necessarily a Mormon person that's giving them the Sunday school answers. So it's it's a little difficult to find a really good therapist that gets all of those things. I tell my clients all the time, I don't have an agenda for their Mormonism because that's not their point in coming to me. What I want to do is I want to help them negotiate these hard things that are coming for them. The relationship. The relationship. I don't care if he stays or goes. I don't care if she stays or goes. I just want them to come on my couch and be able to talk about the hard things with me. So the Mormon Mental Health Association has a great list by state of options so I would say check that out first. We will include a, li- a link to the Mormon Mental Health Association in our show notes. So definitely go to wordlesspodcast.com and check that out. Yes. So if you don't have anyone locally, there are um, a few therapy groups that do video me- telemental health. Symmetry mm-hmm. Solutions is Natasha Helfer Parker's group, and all of them do video sessions. Or if you're international, sometimes you would need to do video sessions with someone Great shout out to our international users. Very well done. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Are there any other resources that you think could be helpful to people as they prepare to have the conversation? Okay. There is an audio recording of a man named David Schnarch. He wrote a book called Passionate Marriage. But I like to suggest to people to listen to his interview that's basically a Reader's Digest version of the book. Mm. And it gives just really the highlights about what differentiation is. It's called Secrets of a Passionate Marriage. If you use a library app, they have the audio recording, I know, in a lot of library systems. Oh, really? Or you could buy it on Amazon or through Audible. They also have, so that what you would search Secrets of a Passionate Marriage. Users just know there is the F word. I'm just going to preemptively Thank you for mentioning that. that. Yeah. And again, we'll have that in the show notes. Okay. Any other resources? Those are my favorites. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we end each episode with the one takeaway that each panelist hopes listeners take from their story, given that we have a panel of one okay. today. Or two. You could say your takeaways, too. <laughs> Look at you turning that yes. on me. <laughs> Let's totally do that. Okay. And because I'm the moderator, I get to ask you to tell your takeaway first. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I think probably the biggest takeaway is learning how to separate your marriage from the church. If I could say that's one of the biggest things I think is important is learning a new dynamic in your marriage, maybe without it only being about Mormonism, I think is a really important muscle to build in your marriage. Another takeaway, I'm sorry, I'm going to say one more. Is that okay? Totally. Is that there is a lot of hope. I know that it feels really scary and really anxiety producing to have to talk to your partner about shifts, but I have seen so much success with people really 
growing and learning how to be better partners together and how to love each other better, how to be more differentiated with each other, to be okay with where each other lands. Yeah. So sometimes it can be a good thing. I'm going to follow your lead, Amy, and going to take two takeaways. Okay. (laughs) The first takeaway is that differentiation is a really big concept and it's okay not to understand it the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. Mm -hmm. But what I hope people take away is remembering there is a mad, glad, sad, scared for you and for the other person. Yes. And that you're allowed to have multiple mad, glad, sad, scared, one about your relationship, one about the church, one about K-pop, one about whatever you want. Yes. Right. But that makes my heart happy to hear you repeat this. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. The K-pop part, right? That's what makes you happy. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So like that, like give yourself time to understand big concepts like differentiation. And it takes time to be mature with those things. Like these are skills you have to learn. Yes. And then number two, always start with expressions of love. We all have our insecure little hearts. Mm -hmm. um, And when we lead with love, it's what's going to allow us to build to that hope that you just mentioned. Take it to, yeah, a different future, but still a wonderful future. Just lead with love. Amen. I feel like we have had a very rich discussion today, Amy. I agree. Thank you so much for bringing your expertise to the conversation. Um, We all here at Wordless hope that you guys will find things to help you as you figure out how to tell a spouse about a change in belief. Our hearts are with you. Absolutely. Um, We want to hear from you. We would love for you to come to the Facebook group, search for the Wordless podcast group and join in the discussion on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for the Wordless podcast. That's it for today's episode. All we really have to do is thank our sponsor. Amy, do we have a sponsor for this week? This episode of Wordless Podcast was brought to you by K-pop, the most pressing issue in Oliver and Kristen's marriage. Let us pray for them. (laughs) You've been listening to Wordless, a post-Mormon field guide. For more information and for the show notes for this episode, visit wordlesspodcast.com. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, a topic you'd like us to consider, or if you think you might have a unique perspective to add to an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you. And if you found this episode helpful, please consider leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. But the most helpful thing you can do is share this episode with someone you know. So please share the love and pass on our links. Thanks again for listening. We hope it makes you feel a little less wordless. I know that I can't expect Kristen to be into K-pop, which is something that I really enjoy. Totally. Right? Like I was spent an hour last week reading about when different members of my favorite K-pop band get out of their mandatory military service and I can hope for new music from the greatest K-pop band of all time, Big Bang. Please cue comments in the Facebook group about how amazing Big Bang is. If you have not listened to Big Bang, start with the video for Fantastic Baby and then look up Bang, Bang, Bang. They're amazing. Donna is peeing her pants laughing right loud. Kristen is on the couch sort of waving her hand like, dear hell, stop talking about K-pop. But I I really...